0: The podcast you are about to listen to is not a medical podcast, nor is it designed to diagnose a condition. While there are medical experts on the show, any questions regarding medical care or concern should be directed to a primary care physician.
1: Welcome to Game on Glio. The podcast providing hope, inspiration, education, and real conversations around the difficult journeys of grief and loss, and being diagnosed with brain cancer, such as glioblastoma. I'm your host, Shannon Trapagan. If you enjoy our show, please consider writing a review. Also, share us with a friend. You can follow us on Facebook at GameOnGLIO or on Instagram at GameOnGLIO Podcast. Or you can visit our website, thegameongliopodcast.com, for our blog, insights, and guest snapshots. Season 2 of the Game on Glio podcast is sponsored by GT Medical Technologies and Gamma Tile Therapy. Learn more at gtmedtech.com. This episode is brought to you by Mimivax LLC, developing immunotherapeutic vaccines and therapies for treatment of cancers such as glioblastoma. Learn more at Mimivax.com and by Onco Synergy, developing patient-focused immunotherapies. Learn more at OncoSynergy.com. The poet lorette Simon Armitage recently wrote a poem for the Institute of Cancer Research. Only his second poem as a poet lorette Simon drew inspiration from the work of many cancer research centers and their drug discoveries through clinical trials. His poem reflects on the ambition, the optimism, and the brilliance that all form part of the search for new precision treatments for cancer. The importance of clinical trials is all about this. Clinical trials are not only vital, but they're so important for the discovery of new treatments for diseases like cancer's as well as to detect and diagnose, but also reduce the chance of either developing the disease or the disease getting worse. And clinical trials are more important than ever in the area of brain cancer. And there are so many innovative clinical trials currently taking place. Simon's poem entitled Finishing It speaks to this very effort. I can't configure a tablet chiseled by God's finger. Or forge a scrawled prescription. But here's an inscription. Formed on the small white dot of its own. Full stop. The sugared pill of a poem. One sentence that speaks ill. Of illness itself. A bullet with cancer's name. Carved brazenly on it. This poem is powerful in what it speaks of. So many ways that we are trying so desperately to find new treatment methods, find ways of shortening the lifespan of a disease, particularly cancer. Clinical trials are so vital to the work that everybody is doing in the area of glioblastoma and brain cancer. And we have some amazing recruitment going on for current clinical trials. One of those is the Cervax M vaccine and the clinical trial that was developed by our guest today and his colleague through Roswell Park Cancer Center by manipulating the survivin protein. It's really intriguing to see some of the creative ways that scientists and researchers and doctors are thinking outside the box as they find ways to tackle brain cancers such as glioblastoma. Our guest today is here to speak to that effort. His name is Michael Sichelski, and he will be with us next after a brief word from our sponsor.
2: imagine waking up from brain tumor removal surgery knowing that your radiation treatment is already underway that's how gamma tile therapy works at the end of brain tumor removal surgery your neurosurgeon implants tiny gamma tiles where the tumor is most likely to return so instead of waiting to start daily standard radiation treatments that go on for weeks you get a head start against tumor cells and get back to your life sooner Gametile therapy is for operable brain tumors of all types, including glioblastomas, brain metastases, and meningiomas. It is a one-time targeted radiation treatment with fewer side effects and far less chance of hair loss than external radiation. Gametile therapy is FDA-cleared radiation therapy for patients with newly diagnosed malignant brain tumors and recurrent brain tumors. GammaTile therapy is tough on tumors and easier on patients and caregivers. Learn more at GammaTile.com.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Sichelski, and he is the CEO of Mimivax, a company that was formed to develop the Cervax M vaccine for clinical use. He's the co inventor of the surviving vaccine technology alongside Dr. Fenstermaker, on which Mimivax was founded. He joined their academic faculty of Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center back in 2004 after obtaining his PhD in immunology. And alongside Dr. Fenstermaker, they established the Neuro Oncology Laboratory. Dr. Sieszelski, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me. This is a, a great opportunity, and really looking forward to sharing some of our experiences and share some of our development of the drug with, uh, with your listeners.
1: I'm excited to have you on. I know that I have been talking about Cervexam for quite some time on this show and we've been putting out news alongside of that about the clinical trials. So I'm really excited to dive into this today and really give our listeners some really great information on what is going on in the world of brain cancer when it comes to new drug treatments, new options, clinical trials. A lot of people are, are always on pins and needles when it comes to other things that can be tried because of how aggressive especially glioblastoma can be. So very excited to have you on today.
0: Thank you so much. It's I and mean, when patients hear that, it is obviously such a you know, devastating uh, diagnosis, and what we really want to do, and particularly with our company in trial, is to, you know, provide these patients some hope and, you know, hopefully direct them to a therapy that might help them, um, be it ours or, or in many other therapies that are out there. I, I think the overall goal of things is to introduce patients to clinical trials and you know, any available treatments that, that might be applicable to their particular types of cancer.
1: I agree. And I think the more information people have, the better armed they are to tackle and deal with the diagnosis. Let's start with how you kind of started out in this field. You know, What led you to working in immunology and neurology, specifically on the research side of things? So
0: it started a long time ago, um, (laughs) probably over 20 years at this point. So I started off at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center. And at that time, Dr. Fenstermaker was uh, looking to start up a lab at the same time. And we connected and uh, built the neuro-oncology laboratory at Roswell. For me, it was something that I had been interested in in terms of brain cancer research. Immunology was something that was just kind of coming a little more aware at that time it was really still in the dark ages when we started this but my background was in molecular immunology that's my PhD was so I was anxious to find new ways to treat some of the patients that dr. Fenstermaker was seeing in the clinic and as we started basic research we were looking at genes that drove Brain tumor formation and things like that—very basic academic type research. Mm-hmm. But after a while, you start to recognize that you really want to move some of these agents that you're working on out of the lab and, and do some good to you know, maybe improve somebody's life. You know, we see things in the lab that work in test tubes and dishes all the time. Right. There seems to be a bit of a gap before that can jump into the clinic, and that was really what drove us. That I think we really want to find some type of drug or some agent, something that could really have an impact on patients' lives, um, for particularly the patients we were seeing at Roswell at that time.
1: There seems to be this huge push in immunology across the board at many cancer centers. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what immunology is and what makes it so intriguing when it comes to treating cancer?
0: Yeah, so immunology, um, in terms of cancer research or immuno-oncology, as we call it now, has really stepped forward as another platform for therapy. For for years, it was chemotherapy and radiation and different offshoots of that, and immunotherapy just kind of sat in the background. And, And I think some of that was that we didn't know enough about how our immune system really worked in terms of being in a patient with cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, So immunotherapy is really harnessing the body's own immune system and turning that loose against the tumor or, or blood cancer or what form of cancer they have and using your body's antibodies and T cells, white blood cells, things like that to naturally home in and destroy that tumor. And what's changed most in the last, I guess, five to 10 years is that we've learned how to modulate some of that. And we have learned how to present different targets to the immune system better so your, your body learns how to develop and focus that immune attack. And we've known how to do this for infectious diseases for, for the longest time, um, but it's only more recently that you know, we're learning how to turn that loose on, on a tumor. It involves kind of tweaking things a little differently than we've thought of in the past, but it's been fairly successful in, in a number of other cancers. Now I think we're seeing that, um, I think we're starting to punch through that wall in terms of getting some of these therapies into the brain, which is really exciting for us to kind of be on the forefront of this type of research.
1: And the basics, I mean, if we really stripped it down, immunotherapy is, is technically taking your immune system's best defenses and using that against whatever cancer you have.
0: Yeah, so it,
1: it, there's
0: different ways of looking at it, and in, in our case, the m survivin is a vaccine. So we're giving a vaccine to a patient, and that patient develops T cells and antibodies, much like they would to you know the flu or COVID vaccine, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And those same antibodies and T cells will home in on on the tumor target. There's other ways to do it where you can actually take the antibodies, um, develop them in the lab, and and give those directly to a patient. And that's something we see with checkpoint inhibitors. Um, There's PD-1 inhibitors we see a lot about, and that's generally what those are. Mm -hmm. Those are an antibody that um, binds directly to a receptor on the cell surface that either turns the cell on or turns it off. Um, And that's one of those things we're learning more about how to control those immune cells. Um, And then there's another step where we can take T-cells, white blood cells right out of the body and genetically engineer them to go after new targets. Um, and then you'll see those as referred to as CAR T-cells or um, engineered T-cell receptor cells. Oh, okay. Um, adoptive transfer type cells, you know, things like that. And there's several of those therapies that are pretty exciting as well.
1: I mean, if that's being developed in a lab and then put back into somebody's body, to turn on or turn off a receptor or to attack specific cancer cells. Is there a reason why it's not more prominent in battling brain cancer as it does in breast cancer and blood cancer?
0: Yeah. So there's several aspects to that. So, I mean, one, and maybe the most obvious is that the brain is often referred to as what they call immunoprivileged. Really for the longest time, people have thought that you can't get an immune response in the brain or you don't get um, immune cells going into the brain. You you don't get um, inflammation. The brain's protected from having an immune response in it. And it's not necessarily the case anymore. Um, We've learned more about the immune system. We've learned how to get those agents into the brain better, Mm -hmm. be it through altering what's known as the blood brain barrier or using types of cells and antibodies that can naturally um, get through those defenses of the brain okay Um, so that's one aspect so it's kind of a physical barrier but one of the big ones really is that as prominent as brain cancer seems and it's it's kind of a strange thing there's 14,000 patients a year diagnosed which puts it in the category of a rare disease extremely rare disease actually but yeah, as time goes on, it seems like everybody knows one, two, three, four, five uh, brain cancer patients that they've encountered just in their daily life or in their family. So it seems mm-hmm. so much more prominent than that. So it's, it comes down to a lot of how many trials are going to be done, how much funding available for many of these trials and how many researchers are in that field, really. Um, And that's, unfortunately, one of those areas where brain cancer lags behind a bit compared to something like breast cancer that is hundreds of thousands of cases. And the field of brain cancer is about a tenth the size of that. Wow. Um, So it sometimes lags behind just trying to make these translations. We're working hard to get there, but it comes down to funding and manpower and, and things like that, which are kind of an unfortunate reality of it all.
1: It does seem like there is a bit more of a push um, in the last few years to really get behind brain cancer treatments and more initiatives in that area. And as you said before, there does seem to be more and more people that know one, two, three, four, or five. I mean, I personally, since my husband passed away a year and a half ago, have probably met over 200 individuals. That have been impacted by brain cancer in some way, shape, or form, whether it was them directly or their mom or dad or their spouse or um, just some random woman in a coffee shop who, you know, wondered what my producer and I were doing on location once and said, "Oh, my best friend has brain cancer." And it so it just it surprises me when I hear these numbers of how extremely rare it still is. And then I think about the sheer number of people that I have met um, and, and stories I've heard from, from across the globe that are just impacted by this. And it just astounds me that it, it doesn't feel that rare. Let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's exactly the, the same feeling. And even looking at it from a research aspect, you know, this is what we do it's not that different in the lab from working on any other cancer target. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just when you get out there for trying to start some of these trials up, um, it, it's a little more difficult. And, you know, There's not as much infrastructure set up to get this number of trials going. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to treat as many patients as we can you know, across all the trials. And if you think that, say, there's 20 or 30 phase one studies open, and many of those studies only take 10 or 20 patients on board, that's not a lot of opportunity for additional treatment of of GBM. Right. So it's hard to really accept that. You know, that's one of the things that we've always driven at that, you know, we've got to do better. Mm -hmm. I see this as one of those things. There's a a set of guidelines that the National Cancer Center puts out for physicians to follow for uh, brain tumor treatment and you know in many other cancers it comes down to try this chemotherapy try this form of radiation right the first item on glioblastoma is seek clinical trials we've got to do better we've got to get more treatments out there like you said it just seems like there's so many more patients out there Mm -hmm. but I, i think the network is that much smaller too that you know we don't really have you know a huge national drive for getting some of these projects done you know it's you see some of the big fundraising networks around some of the more common cancers. And, you know, there's items in stores branded with pink ribbons and all that, which is great. Right. But you know, that's, that's some of those things that help move those along. And we're seeing more and more of that for, for brain cancer now too. I, I think the advocacy networks have really started to engage. I think social media has really picked up on some of this and brought more awareness. I think we just got to keep doing more and more and more till um, you know, I think we get some more federal level support of some of these uh, projects that, that are going on. Mm-hmm. I guess just to clarify some of that too, Well, where these clinical trials go, they're often based on academic studies that um, have been funded by the NIH, National Institute of Health, or the National Cancer Institute at a basic level. And oftentimes when we get out to the point that we want to do clinical trials, there's not much of that federal money available to to move those trials along i see that's really really a shortcoming and i think the way the programs are set up is that they expect large pharmas to come in and, and develop those things further from the lab and that doesn't always happen to some of these promising agents and that's one of the things that we're we're trying to move along ourselves to some degree kind of a grassroots type initiative, right. you know, our, our drug is something that's discovered in Buffalo and developed in Buffalo and, and hopefully we can get it uh, approved in Buffalo soon.
1: So let's dive into this a little bit more. So you're the president of Mimivax, which is a company closely associated or partnered with Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center. And it was specifically because of the surviving vaccine technology that you and Dr. Fenstermaker developed. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So this goes to our paradigm of getting um, an agent out to patients that mm-hmm. we saw pretty early on that if we we're going to rely strictly on um, basic research to move this ahead, it could end up as another one of these cures that do... Great in the lab in the test tubes, but then never sees the light of day clinically. Mm -hmm. We jumped on this pretty early because we saw really strong effects of the drug in the lab, and we thought this was really something that could make an impact. So we developed Mimovax around it to develop it through clinical trials. And it's in association with Roswell, so we're we're Mm -hmm. co founders of the company. Um, But the goal with Mimovax was that we would be able to engage with. commercial pharmaceuticals and investors and in, in the business side of things to look for other resources that could move the clinical trials ahead faster. Um, you know, grants and all that from, from the NCI are, are great, um, but things move incrementally slow on that pathway. And we hope to use this to accelerate the development of the drug. And so far, it's been pretty successful. We've moved the M from phase one all the way to a phase two b, which is almost on its next stop before what they call a pivotal study, which would uh, tee the drug up for a registration study, and that's would be the ultimate success of the company. Its goal was to get this drug to patients, and so far, I, I think we're succeeding at that.
1: So now, what made you guys think that you wanted to look at a vaccine when it came to treating a brain cancer such as glioblastoma? I mean, why a vaccine?
0: So. A vaccine was appealing to us very early on, mainly based on side effect profiles. Um, You know, standard of care for uh, glioblastoma and and many cancers is really based on chemotherapy. Um, And when you look at that, chemo brings a whole host of side effects and um, Mm -hmm. some, some, some miserable, some tolerable. But a lot of those drugs are always based on how much of a dose can a patient tolerate. Um, If you think about that, that's that's kind of a rough place to go. You're you're basically poisoning a patient and trying to see how much you can get in there to kill the tumor. But a vaccine is selective. It shouldn't really have any nasty side effects. It should target the tumor and the tumor only. Um, It was a way to maybe add on to standard of care. It was a way to bring in a type of therapy that would maybe improve a patient's quality of life. Um, you know, if a patient can come in and, and get an injection in the arm, hang around for a few minutes to an hour and, and go home,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I, I think that's a tremendous improvement on their quality of life, You know, not having to be hooked up to an IV or any kind of machine or anything, you know, something that could be delivered simply and, and make their life better um, while still having an effect on the tumor.
1: So explain to our listeners a little bit about how the vaccine works. It's based on surviving vaccine technology. So explain a, a little bit about how this actually attacks the t- like. What does it do once it's in the body? How does it work?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this gets into the biology behind it a little bit. So the vaccine is targeted to a protein that's part of cancer cells called survivin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a protein we discovered. It's one that's been out there for a little bit of time, but hasn't really been focused on all that much it's surviving as a protein that's normal biology it's normal habitat interferes with a cell's natural ability to trigger an event they call apoptosis this is um, cell death or cell suicide so when a cell makes a bad transition it's transitioning to a tumor cell or its dna hasn't copied right and there's errors in it Mm -hmm. um, there's a normal program in your cells that will eliminate that cell it's a self-programmed cell death Mm -hmm. Survivin interferes with that and prevents that program from activating so that is actually um, a protein that partially drives the tumor so the tumor needs this protein to exist Um, so we thought that would be a good target to go after like hey this would be something specific. Now, it turns out survivin has some normal functions as well, but it's in developing fetus. Um, it's actually known as an oncopetal protein. So it's normal in fetal development, um, possibly early childhood development, but then it's turned off and then we never see it again as an adult.
1: Really? So this is something that goes dormant as you grow? So it's something that you have as a child that's activated, but then it kind of just shuts down?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's responsible for the growth of the the body during development. And once you're developed, you don't really have that turned on anymore. But that's something that the tumor cells have tapped into to give them their longevity. It prevents them from being wiped out. And this is something that ties into immunotherapy in general, too, that we're starting to recognize that many cancers are a result of a faulty immune response. Your body has stopped recognizing these tumor cells that develop. Probably in many normal people, there's tumor cells developing all the time, but your immune system picks up on them quickly, or the apoptotic system picks mm-hmm. up on them quickly and wipes them out. If it gets by that point, you know it's tapping into some of these other proteins that allow those cells to survive when they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So that made a nice target for a vaccine. This is something that's specific to the tumors. It's not hopefully not going to target your liver cells or kidneys or mm-hmm. somewhere else it's not supposed to go. So um, it was kind of a natural opportunity to try a, a vaccine against it to see if we could turn on that immune system again and train it to go after tumor cells. I mean that's really what the vaccine does. So the vaccine itself is it's a protein target that's derived from the surviving protein. So we take a little piece of that We've modified its structure a little bit to make it more immunogenic, produce a stronger immune response than it normally would. And that's put into a a cocktail of what they call adjuvants. These are carriers and other proteins that help stimulate an immune response. In some respects, if you think about how people have an allergic response, well, that's an immune response as well. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, say, injecting... A piece of shellfish into a patient that has a shellfish allergy. You want to stimulate the body to recognize that and get aggravated about that, but it's in a controlled setting, so it's just a small little response, and, and we are not you know triggering like you know anaphylactic shock or anything. But right. it gets the body to recognize that this is a danger signal. This is something that's not supposed to be here. It's a foreign protein. Um, I better do something about it. So that triggers an antibody response and a T cell response at the same time. So it's something you call, um, we refer to as cytotoxic T cells. Uh, So these are T cells that will home down, and once they're activated by the vaccine, will hunt down tumor cells and and destroy them. And the antibody that's produced at the same time will also go out and um, coat these tumor cells, which then the rest of your immune system will go and uh, use that antibody to target and clean them up. Um, macrophages and dendritic cells will will pick up on some of those antibodies and destroy the tumor that they're attached to.
1: So it's kind of like a a, a double whammy to the tumor.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we're coming at it from two different immune mechanisms per se. So it's both a a cells and antibody response. Um, And that's something that's made it a little more unique.
1: How does it know to target the cancer that's in the brain? I mean, if, you know, let's say you've got some other immune deficiencies or an autoimmune disease, how does it know? Is it just because it's a cancer? So it just knows that that's where it needs to go?
0: Well, so your immune cells are always patrolling the body. Mm -hmm. So once a T cell is activated, it it actually does pass through the blood-brain barrier and will look for cells that have this target on them, Okay, it's kind of like a red flag. So those, those tumor cells have that flag on them. They don't necessarily realize they're doing that, but the T cells and the antibodies can recognize that as they pass through the blood, as they pass through the tissue, they will gauge with that target
3: mm-hmm. and
0: then the cells will, will make a kill for whatever that's attached to. Um, luckily we haven't seen those flags attached to anything else. So um, they're doing a pretty good job of just targeting the tumor so far.
1: That's impressive. And a, a key note to really zero in on here is that this vaccine is crossing that blood-brain barrier in the clinical trials and the studies and the research and the lab uh, work that you guys have done to date, correct?
0: Right, right. And that, that's something that's unique and something is one of these things that we've learned about immunology um, mm-hmm. in the past five, 10 years or so. Normally you could throw a bunch of T cells at the blood-brain barrier, and they don't go through because they're not activated. They're not trained. Mm -hmm. The vaccine has the ability to train those cells and turn on different cell surface receptors, kind of like a lock and key mechanism. And now those cells are able to pass through the blood-brain barrier because they're an activated T cell. It's a slightly different presentation of what's on the surface of that cell. So As it approaches the barrier, there's other cells that basically guardian cells of the blood vessels in the brain and that forms the barrier. But these activated T cells have the key to pass through that and um, it allows them to penetrate through the tissue deeper.
1: So now what are you seeing in the clinical trials that you've done up to this point before we've gotten into phase 2B? What results have you been seeing in the limited trials that you were doing
0: yeah. So this is really what's really driven us to this point. So we, in our very first clinical trial was a phase one study, in recurrent glioblastoma, which is a small study of eight patients. And these were patients that were failed by everything. Um, some of them were twice recurrent glioblastoma. Um, many of them were expected to really only have about three to six months left to live. Okay. Um, and it was just a study to see if there was any toxicity with the vaccine to see how well patients would tolerate it this was the first time would ever be given to, uh, to patients before first time in human and what we saw in that study is of those eight patients who we only expected to live a short time frame seven of them survived over a year and then another three or four survived uh, over two years all the way out to seven years
3: wow and
0: seeing that in a patient that was basically told they had no more options there's nothing else we can even give you right um that was incredible um to see the patients coming back year after year was amazing you you don't you don't see that in
1: not in glioblastoma
0: it's it's just it's an awful awful disease um but that gave us the reason to move forward and continue its development so we put it into a phase two study and this time we switched it to newly diagnosed glioblastoma so we wanted to get a hold of patients a little sooner maybe not when they had been failed by everything you know we have a better chance of extending their survival if we can get on there sooner and that's the same for many cancers now the sooner you can get into a trial or a study is the better but in the phase 2a now we moved up to 60 patients and had now moved out to several different cancer centers so Mm -hmm. this was being done at roswell park cleveland clinic Mass General and Dana-Farber Cancer Institutes now. Um, So we're we're building a bigger network and that helps bring more patients, but it also helps the robustness of the data. So it's not just one center participating and getting great results. Now it's five centers participating and getting the same results. Mm -hmm. And what we saw now is an overall survival for newly diagnosed patients extended out to about 25 months. Again, we're seeing long-term survivors in this study. So in this case, there's still about 15, 16 patients that are all five years out um, with wow. newly diagnosed glioblastoma. And again, even from the newly diagnosed position, it's kind of unheard of. Right. Um, it, it's unfortunate, but I mean, overall survival is only about 15 months for newly diagnosed glioblastoma. Right. Um, and here we've got patients on average, getting 25 months, and these long-term survivors at five years out, um, many who still haven't had any sign of progression. So what we've learned is the vaccine's really good at preventing tumor progression, Mm -hmm. which if you think about how a vaccine works, um, it kind of fits the bill. This has always been kind of a struggle for ourselves. Like, Well, why is a vaccine therapeutically reduce a tumor size you know we don't really think about a vaccine as attacking a tumor but it it really can and if you think about the paradigm we're preventing that tumor from coming back so it's much like an infectious disease we're preventing the infectious disease from occurring but now we're also preventing those tumor cells from coming back and it seems like the longer we can prevent that recurrence Mm -hmm. the longer chance at a longer life
1: and something else gets developed or comes along and
0: yeah yeah, so I, you know this is one of those things you know we hope there's more therapies coming because you really want to put more out there. You know you can stack these therapies. you can add additional immunotherapies.
1: It sounds like this vaccine is also it's teaching the body how to attack these very rare glial cancer cells. It seems like the body is learning from the vaccine just like any other vaccine and training its own immune system to shut these down and keep these from growing and and progressing.
0: Right, right. And that's that's the goal of immunotherapy and particularly this type of immunotherapy we're vaccinating is that your own body picks up and figures out how to do it. So to kind of parallel that, patients on this study are given a vaccine once every two weeks over a period of about two months. Um, And that's kind of the initial induction phase. But then after that, they come back just for a booster dose every three months or so. In this case, some of these patients have just gotten a booster now over that five-year period. So oh. there's really nothing else they're doing. Um, you know, many aren't on their chemotherapy or really anything else anymore. They're just coming back for the vaccine, and that's that. So the quality of life comes back into play again. That you know, this is something pretty exciting.
1: This is it's definitely a game changer. Um, when it comes to finding innovative ways to really tackle and attack glioblastoma because you really do have to think outside the box. You have to be aggressive in approach because the cancer itself is aggressive. So you guys are now in phase 2B clinical trials, which has opened up to, it means more patients, newly diagnosed, can look at being recruited, based on certain criteria. And you guys have even more centers available for the recruitment phase. So talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah. So this is really the, the main excitement going on in the company right now. So we've just opened the phase 2B, like you said. Um, it's a recapitulation of the phase 2A, but it's in a larger setting with more centers. And it's what they call a randomized controlled study. So There are patients that would not be receiving the vaccine um, that this is compared to. And this is the gold standard that's required by the FDA to eventually get approval. Mm -hmm. So the study is structured to enroll about 300 patients. It's already open at 12 centers across the country. We hope to get it closer to 15 or 20. There may even be some international centers if we can uh, get that going. That would be great. We're excited about that. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: But this is really the last step towards um, getting into a pivotal study. Um, So as this begins, the goal is to um, recruit enough patients to convince the FDA to allow us to convert this from a phase 2B into a phase 3. And then that phase 3 is what's known as the pivotal registration trial, and that's used for approval of the drug. Okay. So we're, we're marching our way to that. And some of the reasons why it's a phase 2B is that there's some regulatory aspects that have to be performed along the way. Of course. Um, there has to be some randomized data. Unfortunately, I don't really like having to do that, but it's it's part of the, the way FDA looks at things. So once we have some of that early data, um, we should be able to convert this over to that pivotal study. And that'll be really exciting. You know, This is something Right now, even just being able to give it to 300 patients is going to be exciting because that greatly improves you know, the reach and, and more patients that, that we can see with it. This is really the big step to getting it to approval. So far, we've treated um, 12 patients in okay. the last couple of months. Um, it's only been open um, two, three months now. And the patients are coming from all over the country. So uh, most of them have been at Roswell, um, which is a good thing, but I think that's you know some of the notoriety we have at Roswell for immunotherapy. Right. And we've attracted patients, again, from Boston and as far out as Seattle and, and Texas where we have other cancer centers open. Wow. Um, so it, it's exciting seeing the, the spread, being able to treat those patients, but it's also exciting to see the PIs and the other cancer centers coming together on this. Mm-hmm. they're they're interested and many of these centers have approached us asking to participate so uh, it, it's something that's really um, reassuring to us that you know other key opinion leaders out there have seen that there's something here there's, there's something that's gotten their interest and it's something they want to get to their patients too so um, the, the collaboration around the study has been really incredible and, and seeing these different cancer centers coming together and working together to uh, try and make this trial happen has been uh, really exciting for us to be to be part of
1: so now what is the process to get in to the space to be for recruiting purposes what would a patient need to do what criteria needs to be met in order for them to be considered um, a good candidate
0: so the pathway into the trial would in, in most cases simply asking their treating physician to Um, see if they can qualify for it and Mm -hmm. the treating physician would then contact one of the centers. Um, They can always reach out directly to Roswell Park is the central site Um, that kind of makes it an easy site for them to um, gain access to it. Um, The trials are also listed on the uh, government page which is called clinicaltrials.gov. Some of the advocacy networks have a listing for it too so there's ways to find it
1: I have it as well on our website. I have a, I have a direct link. Yeah.
0: Okay. So yeah, if there's a link there, that, that's good. But what it's open for is patients for newly diagnosed who would also be receiving surgery, tumor resection of their tumor, and uh, starting their radiation treatment. So they, these are patients that receive standard of care, um, that are planned to receive standard of care, and then the vaccine would be given on top of that. Um, Since it's given up front, we're looking for patients that are recently diagnosed just beginning their radiation step, which is typically a month after surgery, um, so that we can prepare and have the vaccine ready to give them right after they get out of radiation. So standard of care for a newly diagnosed patient consists of surgery the month of radiation and then there's a few weeks that they have to recover from radiation and surgery before they start their chemotherapy which is typically temozolomide Mm -hmm. so we're inserting the vaccine into that period where it's the recovery period there's nothing else really for them at that point besides recovery and it's just a good time for the vaccine to um, uh, be inserted in there. The patients uh, still relatively healthy they're doing a little better because the tumor has been removed Um, They haven't really seen much chemotherapy yet, so the immune system hasn't been affected by that. So it seems like a little better opportunity to, as they say, prime an immune response. Um, So those are the patients we're looking for. Besides those criteria, it's really just um, some more general type clinical trial. Um, The patient has to be healthy enough to receive a vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not like an age requirement or or anything else. Um, There's some molecular requirements in that we just need to know some characteristics about their tumor, but... Um, There's very little to exclude it in in that
1: manner. Which is a big deal because I know for some of the other clinical trials, the molecular makeup of the tumor can really exclude certain patients, which can be really tough when you're looking at glioblastoma. So that's interesting that this doesn't exclude a whole lot of variations of the tumor. But I'm also curious to know, there are a lot of patients that have jumped on this Avastin kind of A lot of doctors are pushing their patients into Avastin more so when they're newly diagnosed. And a lot of what happens is during or right after that radiation period, they're getting that dose before starting chemo. Would that preclude somebody from, because I know that the Avastin seems to work, but this seems to be more effective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately we get in these situations where to test a new form of drug or immunotherapy, um, you can only mix so much into the pot. okay. And that's one of these things that, so if they were taking a bastin, they wouldn't be able to come into the The study. study just yet. So it's, it's exclusive to just standard of care being radiation
1: and temozolomide. What are your hopes for the vaccine? Where, where would you like to see this in a few years?
0: So, I mean, ideally, we, we simply want approval for newly diagnosed GDM. Um, I, I think it's something that's, that we've demonstrated quite a bit of safety for, and, and hopefully we can demonstrate um, efficacy that's uh, sufficient for, for FDA to want to approve it, um, and then we can make it available for brain tumor patients. One of the interesting things about Survive on our target is that it's actually expressed in 90% of cancer, um, the reality here is this is not just a, a brain tumor vaccine, but that target is expressed in many other forms of cancer. It's expressed in multiple myeloma, bone marrow cancer,
3: wow. it's expressed
0: in neuroendocrine tumors. It's expressed in a number of pediatric cancer brain tumors as well, but it's also in things like prostate and breast cancer. So... I see a lot of opportunity. Yeah. I mean, this could be a cancer vaccine. It doesn't have to necessarily be a brain tumor cancer vaccine. Right. You know, it's just there's a lot of development along each one of those pathways to to try and get it there. And we started some of that. And we we have a phase one study open right now. Um, Well, that's full and and closing up, but we're finally going to get some data from it. But we have a phase one study in multiple myeloma. Um, so we hope to have some data for that soon, and we've recently just opened a pediatric study um, to look at uh, children with medulloblastomas, um, high-grade gliomas, ependymomas, as well as DIPG. These are the diffuse and pontine gliomas, which are a really devastating um, right. diagnosis for, for children. So we're recruiting on that as well. Um, and that's going to be open in 17 centers across the country wow. um, with some help from the Pediatric Brain Tumor Consortium, who's actually um, the group sponsoring the trial and running the trial for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another exciting collaboration to to see if we can you know, add more indications and you know, find more applications for uh, patients that could benefit potentially from the drug.
1: It sounds like there's, a lot of hope, a lot of promise um, surrounding this vaccine. And so the phase 2B clinical trial is still open. Once that finishes, how long does it typically take to be able to move into a phase 3?
0: So the goal is actually to turn the 2B into a phase 3. So what we're structured right now is that we hope to get data from our first 75 to 100 patients on the study Mm -hmm. at what they call a surrogate endpoint. So we'll be able to look at these patients at 12 months, see how they're doing. And if that data is good, which we expect it to be, we can present that to the FDA um, to request a conversion to a phase three trial. And that's the goal right now. So if that happens, we could convert to a phase three and say realistically closer, you know, 18 to 24 months from now. Wow. Um, and then continue it on for a phase three, which, again, will take another one to two years to, to finish up the trial. But mm-hmm. the goal is to have this in for an FDA approval um, in the next five years.
1: That's extremely exciting. It really lifts my heart to hear the progress that's being made with this because there is so few options out there that are really Potent when it comes to kicking glioblastoma to the curb, so to speak, mm-hmm. and for patients that are out there who are listening, you know understand and know that that this this particular trial is currently recruiting and really does need patients newly diagnosed with glioblastoma, so you know do not hesitate to take a look to get online, uh go to our resources. I'm excited to see this in the hands of more patients, to have patients out there have this as a viable option just on a regular basis. To have this become part of the standard of care is really exciting to hear. And at Mimivax, is this the only clinical trial that you guys are currently working on as far as the vaccine? I know you said you've opened it up to pediatrics where you guys are currently recruiting for that. Are there other clinical trials that Mimivax is working on, or is this this is what you guys are focused on right now?
0: So it's the primary focus, um, but there are other things going on. So like I mentioned, there's a multiple myeloma trial, there's mm-hmm. a neuroendocrine tumor trial, the pediatric trial. Um, but as we've learned more and more about the vaccine and learn more about survival biology, there's always strange things that happen. And we've always been thinking that we follow the data. Um, whatever... Biology tells us we, we follow that data and see where it goes. And that's led us to an interesting spot that we've discovered that in, um is, again, expressed in particular autoimmune cells. So we're exploring the uh, area of autoimmunity now um, with an antibody that is developed in, in part from the vaccine. Mm-hmm. But we're able to use this antibody in a disease called myasthenia gravis. Um, this is an autoimmune condition where patients have an autoimmune response to their uh, motor neuron end plates. It uh, leads to paralysis um, in patients of okay. their um, diaphragm and in you know, things that you obviously don't want to be messing with. Um, but it turns out that we can, uh, at least preclinically in, in models, okay. reverse the uh, autoimmune response of some of these effects and um, potentially have a treatment for autoimmune disease. And we've seen survival expressed in these B cells of myasthenia gravis, but we also see that it's expressed in cells associated with multiple sclerosis, um, and of all things, rheumatoid arthritis. Wow. Um, You're just kind of like, wait a minute, this shouldn't even be possible, but it looks like there's other ways the body is tapped into that target. And one of the things we found out is if you think about autoimmune response, and autoimmune disease, it's usually caused by your immune system going a little haywire, going a little too aggressive or too long-lived. And it's the same mechanism of longevity that these cells have picked up. An autoimmune uh, cell that's producing antibodies to your own tissues should have turned itself off and gone away a long time ago if it started to do that. Your body right. has safeguards against it, but it didn't. Um, and here they are tapping into survivin as their way to circumvent the body's safeguards, just like a cancer cell would do it. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the same therapy is able to reverse that process as well. So there's all sorts of different offshoots of this that we're exploring. And the autoimmune is all preclinical um, academic stuff at this right. point, but we're, we're hopeful to we get that into uh, a clinical trial soon with some um, collaborators that we have at uh, George Washington University in, in D.C. So it's an exciting time for us. There's There's all sorts of other aspects going on in the company trying to find more ways to uh, use the vaccine and more ways to use the data that we get from the vaccine this is Mm -hmm. something we see with clinical trials is that the first step is just giving the drug to the patient but we learn so much about the drug and ultimately about the disease through the clinical trials and and much of it's not anticipated Uh, you just kind of are the recipient of this data and want to find some benefit from it and there's just all sorts of new interesting aspects that that you gain from that and you know and we're, we're really thankful for the patients who come into these trials because you know we've never learned about the biology of um, where this goes you know hopefully we're able to treat that patient on trial so they have benefit but it's also about the patients that'll come after them, and and we learn so much that can be applied towards future trials and future applications. Right. Um, it, it's really kind of kind of mind boggling after a while, and when you when you look at the amount of data that comes out of these trials, um, and what it can do, and and where we can go with it.
1: Well, I have to say I'm very excited to see where. Mimivax as a whole is headed. It it sounds like there's some really exciting opportunities on the horizon and the Cervax M vaccine continues recruiting. I'm definitely very excited and I know our listeners will be too to hear about the progress and the current results and where the hope is for this going. So having you on today has just been an enormous privilege and hearing some of this information and having it broken down for our listeners just to see how valuable and important this vaccine has the potential to be and and where it's going. For our listeners, before we conclude our, our show here, let our listeners know where they can look you up, where they can find more information about the company. I know we've mentioned where they can find information about the, the clinical trial. And again, they can go to Roswell Park's website. They can go to my website at the Game on Glio podcast. I do have a, a direct link that'll take listeners, take people to the recruiting page, but let them know where they can find more information about Mimivax and then through that, because you guys have a lot of information, press releases, news and stuff like that, that you put up on the site.
0: Yeah. So we, we do have our webpage. Um, it's um, and that kind of curates everything that we're doing has links to the trials, um, press releases. It also has um, links to the centers that are offering the trial, the um, phase 2 b, particularly. Um, we've tried to strategically move those around the country. So there are centers on the West coast, there's winners in the South and uh, as well as uh, the Northeast. So hopefully there's a center um, that is nearby um, for patients to, Uh, get seen at Um, but there's a lot of just background information of the vaccine and all that there Um, as well as Roswell Park I mean that's obviously comprehensive cancer center and plethora of information for glioblastoma but as well as the other cancers and other forms of immunotherapy Um, it's um, definitely a a point that um, I think all patients really should be looking into um, going to a Cancer Center, you know, Roswell Parks right here in our backyard is just something that you know they should really take advantage of and take advantage of early. Um, it's not something you want to wait around with and try and figure out what options are there. Right, and you want to you want to get a hold of those as soon as you can. The other ways that um, patients and and uh, caretakers and all that have been involved with this too. Sometimes it feels funny asking about it, but it comes out is where the support for some of these things come from. And for us, that's really been um, a phenomenal level of support from the Roswell Park Alliance, mm-hmm. um, as well as a number of rides that have gone on through the Western New York area, um, you know, particularly the ride for Roswell and, and your own tra- trail ride as well, <laughs> which has you know, been, been able to really help patients get into these studies. And, and that's the, the point I want to make is that you know, there's always ways to donate to these studies and to donate to the Alliance, but the funds that come in for those things go 100% into these trials to help pay for patient costs. And a clinical trial, especially at the level that it's at for what they call a late stage trial, they're not inexpensive. And, and most of that is really for, for patient care. Just to share, for an example, it costs about $50,000 per patient. To have them on trial. And that's just the patient cost. That's got nothing to do with the company or, or anything like that. That's just the patient care. And all those donations that come in uh, offset that and you know, really make room for another patient on the study. And, and that's something that Mimavax has had support all along. And, and we're that's incredibly vital. thankful for that because yeah. none of this would even exist um, without that kind of support.
1: Well, and on that note, I want to make sure that people know that our listeners know that uh, Trap Hagen's Trail Ride for Brain Cancer is currently running right now. We will be fundraising for the next month and a half through October 15th when we hold our cycling event. All of these funds do go into Roswell Park Brain Cancer Initiatives, and the Cervaxin vaccine is at the top of that list. So all of the money that we are pushing to raise through the fundraiser, all of your donations that come in will go to support this initiative. So it is vital that I stress that because our fundraiser is open right now. So for everybody listening, you can go to give.roswellpark.org slash go to slash Trap trail ride for brain cancer. And the four is number four, brain cancer. So please go take a look. We have a ton of information on that page. Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a great interview. I have thoroughly enjoyed having you on. I'm very excited about all of the information that is coming out of this clinical trial. And I I appreciate your time today.
0: Thank you. It's, um, I mean, we're eternally grateful for you know, these kind of opportunities to even just talk about what we do and, and shed some light on what the clinical trial process is and some of the exciting research that's going on right in our own backyard here in Buffalo. So it's a, it's a cool thing to be part of, and it's a great thing to share. It's
1: a proud moment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And with that, we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Mimivax LLC, developing immunotherapeutic vaccines and therapies for treatment of cancers such as glioblastoma. Learn more at Mimivax.com. Synergy is a biotechnology company that develops therapeutics to dramatically improve the standard of care for patients suffering from the worst cancers. Founded by physicians frustrated with the limited treatment options available to brain cancer patients, Synergy is now on a mission to develop better treatments for those battling brain cancer. OncoSynergy's passion and drive have led to the prioritized development of their leading therapeutic OS2966 for treatment of glioblastoma. OS2966 works by blocking a key receptor that manages cancer-promoting communications between tumor cells and their surroundings. Based on encouraging preclinical data, Oncosynergy has now launched a phase one clinical trial for treatment of recurrent glioblastoma. The trial is currently enrolling patients at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. Learn more about Oncosynergy and their phase one clinical trial at oncosynergy.com. It's amazing as we learn more and more about brain cancer and what that actually means. To look at an inhibitor, A protein so small that it's one of the smallest members of the protein family, yet it is so potent it can actually promote cancer to grow. A small protein like survivin. And yet doctors and scientists are constantly looking for new ways to combat brain cancer, glioblastoma. And many other forms of cancers, and this little protein could be the trick that actually breaks through the barriers where others have failed, and that's the hope to progress in brain cancer treatment. I'm so thankful to have had Dr. Sichelski on today. He has taught us so much about the work that they are doing over at Mimivax and at Roswell Cancer Center and as they continue to explore and manipulate and research the survivin protein and find new ways to expand the Cervax M vaccine, my hope is that they will find new ways to not only treat brain cancer, but to give brain cancer patients and other cancer patients longevity years, time. We learn so much by doing this podcast. We learn so much by being in the field, by being advocates, by being fighters. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. And if you want to learn more, you can visit mimavax.com. They are also currently recruiting for their Cervax M vaccine. It's a phase 2B clinical trial, so it's very important because They are very far along in the process with this clinical trial, and that is such terrific news and such happy news. So please feel free to look at our website for recruitment information. You can also visit their website, or you can call Roswell Park Cancer Center to learn more. But don't ever lose hope in what clinical trials can offer. I know sometimes... For some people, it seems like a long shot or a last ditch effort, but they really shouldn't be looked at as last attempts. They should be looked at as the first line of defense, especially when it comes to beating very rare and very hard to treat cancers. And we have to be able to do all that we can because the minute we start to lose hope, we start to lose progress. And that is something that we should never do. We not only have to believe in ourselves, but we have to believe in those who are working alongside of us, fighting alongside of us to find ways to end some of these horrible cancers. So for all of you listening, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Please feel free to share our podcast with others. We are always looking for reviews, for new ways to grow, for new listenership. I hope you enjoyed the two episodes for August. We will be doing this again in October with two amazing episodes. But until then, please feel free to follow us on Facebook and on Instagram, and we will be back in September with another amazing episode. Thank you so much. Until next month. You've been listening to the Game on Glio podcast. The podcast that is designed to educate, advocate, and tell the real stories of those walking the journey of brain cancers such as glioblastoma and grief and loss. If you like our show, please share us with others. Follow us on Instagram at GameonGlio Podcast or on Facebook at GameonGlio. You can visit our website and our YouTube channel. You can find us anywhere podcasts are played.